I don't know if I want to call it laziness exactly, but it's certainly the laziest way to like get a rise out of people like me. Boy, <laughs> welcome back to another episode of Exposing Ourselves. This is the show where we expose each other to new things. Matt, a big music fan, will assign me one of his favorite albums or playlists to listen to each week. And I, a movie buff, will give him one of my favorite films. And we come together on this podcast to discuss it all. I'm Travis Ritchie. And with me, as always, is my good friend, Matt Runquist. Hey, Travis. Hey. Hey, today on the episode, we're going to talk about the R.E.M. album, New Adventures in Hi-Fi, and the movie Inception. Wow, that sounds fun. But before we get to that, Matt, sounds like you're having an interesting week. <laughs> I am having an interesting week. There's been lots of, uh, lots of difficult stuff over here, and uh, my brain is working slowly tonight, so... You know, I, I, I've had my share of episodes where my brain was working slowly, and uh, so I, I sympathize with you. I personally have had, an, uh, I slept in today, because uh, this was the weekend where we were supposed to go to um, uh, Gallifrey One, the big Doctor Who convention, and usually I spend the whole weekend there, um, Thursday a little bit, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I did not go today because I still don't have a car and an easy way to get down to the LAX Marriott from the San Fernando Valley. So I didn't go. Instead, I slept in and I got like nine hours of sleep, which felt great for me. I got to admit, I'm super jealous. I cannot sleep in even when I don't get enough sleep. Like even when I don't Mm. go to bed on time. uh, I I routinely get up between uh, five and six and... uh, if Oof. sleeping in for me is like 6.15, right? Wow. And, and so if I'm up till one or two in the morning, then I still get up very early. And uh, I'm very jealous of your ability to sleep in if you need to. Yeah. I am. I have uh, traditionally been a pretty good sleeper. And so in the back when we lived in uh, Comstock Hall, uh, which was this... Um, dormitory made of like it was constructed with like those heavy cinder block you Mm -hmm. know it was a hefty building and uh, i used to have to have this very loud alarm clock that was made the sound of the red alert sound from from uh star trek and i had the guy who lived underneath me complain about how loud it was because it would just go off and i would not wake up yeah i do remember you sleeping pretty heavy back then yeah, it's not so bad now. I mean, it's it's almost I reached a kind of like a sweet spot where I could get up when I needed to, and now I feel like I'm at a point where I'm not sleeping as soundly as I used to. But mm-hmm. in any case, uh so my big thing this week was prepping for the show that we do at Gallifrey One, which I did go to. I was in it. Uh and we do a sketch show on Saturday night at eight PM, which is a it's in the main ballroom and we get an audience of somewhere like a thousand to 1500 people and it's a very nerdy doctor who sketch doctor who heavy show and i was in seven of 11 sketches wow and uh, so i had a lot to learn and mostly everything went pretty well the audience response was great i dropped a couple of lines that i feel bad about uh but i did do a couple of the lines that I was most worried about perfectly. So, uh, so that's yeah. Um, the other big thing that's going on with me is I have this. Uh, you know, you talk about health issues a little bit, but uh, and this isn't serious. But 
I started getting uh, plantar fasciitis again on oh, my no. uh, on my right foot, oh. and it's something I had really badly about 12 years ago when I first started running, and uh-huh. then I started buying really good shoes, or well, I guess what I thought were really good shoes, and it went away until lately, and I don't quite know why, but last night after the show, I was limping back to the car, and uh, this morning I could barely walk, and... I just went for a walk before the before our recording so that I could listen to uh, the album one last time because I've been too busy to listen to a second time like I usually like to do. And uh, luckily, I was able to kind of stretch things out. And by the time I got going on the walk, you know, 10, 15 minutes in, I was walking normally. So that gives me some hope for, you know, the future. But man, most of today, I couldn't walk. It could be, uh, it could just be convention foot, don't you think? No, it was going on before that. It's uh, been okay. it's been going on for about uh, at least a few week, uh, at least a few days, maybe a week already. Uh, but it hasn't been super bad. It's been bad enough that I bought myself a uh, one of those foot massage machines, mm-hmm. but um, but not so bad that I was limping. I I would just I could just feel it, but uh, I was still able to hike and even run. And you know, I didn't give a second thought to going to play some ultimate frisbee on Saturday. But that is part of what exacerbated it uh, okay. a lot so yeah well, anyway fo- well folks if you're wondering what uh, convention foot is it's because conventions are usually held in convention centers and convention centers are notorious for having large expanses of concrete that is really really mm. hard to stand up on true true long. I will say Gallifrey One takes place at the LAX Marriott, and their their downstairs is very well carpeted and padded, so Ooh. that's not so much of a of a problem. Uh, the carpeting at the LAX Marriott is a point of uh, much contention, though. They replaced it over the pandemic with it used to be this really kind of funky, interesting like. People would make costumes of the carpet. Oh, it wow. was so distinctive. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the uh, the the mural that's kind of hanging behind you, as far as the color scheme. Mm-hmm. But you can find pictures of it in various places if you look up uh, Gallifrey One carpet. But they replaced it with this carpet that was just worse. Just <laughs> just worse. It was just worse. It's it's a cooler color. It's I guess okay, but. I, I don't know. I, I can't describe it. It just, if anybody from the LAX Marriott ever hears this, you did a bad job choosing your carpet. That's all. Well, speaking of doing a bad job, do you want to talk about the recommendations this week? Man, oh man, do I not want to talk about these because I think we're going to disagree on a lot. And uh, I, think I don't like disagreeing dis- with you, Matt. No, I, I don't, don't like, like it. I don't like disagreeing with you. But, I, I, you know, as long as it comes from a place of, like, knowledge... You know, then I'm sure. cool with it. Yeah, so let's start. Let's shake things up and start with the music first. Yeah, let's do um, that. Because <laughs> I, I, I just want to get this off my chest. I didn't love this album. Yeah, I got and that sense. And you, you said last weekend, and uh, when, we, when we did a kind of a false start on this episode, you said that it was the, uh, their best, possibly their, their best REM's album. best album. Yeah. Yep, there we go. Uh, I listened to it twice the whole way through. And I did not enjoy the experience much at all. Wow. Wow. Yeah. What is it that you found uh, difficult? So, okay. So first off, uh, one of the things I like, and I think this is, a, this is a, now an established thing that I've, you know, maybe a trend of mine or a, a fact that we can kind of agree on is I like 
a singable song. I like songs that theoretically I could learn and sing along to, and that's something that R.E.M. has done in the past with some of the songs that we know them best for, Shiny Happy People and uh, you know those kind of 80s and early 90s tunes of theirs. This one had none of that. I, I found it very difficult to understand many of the lyrics, and certainly not consistently like every once in a while i would catch a phrase like i like to hear the sing i like to hear the caged bird sing and then i'm like oh i understand that but then most of the song would be unintelligible like and i was thinking about this that there is a um there is a there's an argument to be made for the vocalist being just another instrument that melds with the other instruments of the song to make kind of a an orchestration of a song, right? And then in that way, it's not important what the words are that they're singing. It just becomes music. I don't think that... Um, who is the guy that sings for the Michael R.E.M.? Stipe. Michael Stipe. Thank you. Uh, I don't think his voice warrants that kind of take. Like, <laughs> it's it's it's... He has a distinctive voice, but it's not what I would call easy to listen to, right? Um, and so I need more. I need I, I need more from that. And then when I'm reading the lyrics themselves, they're not that great. Um, <gasps> oh, I disagree, hardcore. What do you What do you think? What don't you like about well, these lyrics? Well, uh, I, I I had a I had a lyric that I was listening to on uh, the, that I, uh, one of the songs I was listening to on the walk and um and I was I was like okay what are the lyrics here and uh, I honestly don't know what song it was but the lyrics were kind of I, I don't know they just seemed dumb to me I if if I could take a moment to maybe figure out which one it was um boy you you cut a lot from this album in your playlist didn't you I'm just now looking at the album itself. And, well, uh, no, because there's two like two hour long album. No, it's not. See, this is this thing that they do to capitalize on Generation X nostalgia. They release uh -huh. these twentieth or twenty fifth anniversary editions of albums, and they have a whole bunch of like what they call B sides and rarities, but really they're just demos of the exact same songs. And oh, there's almost okay. never anything to be anything interesting to be learned from the demos, right? It's usually just a poorly recorded version of the same song. Oh, uh, I see, I see, I see. And um, so I did you the favor of cutting out all of the <laughs> cutting out the B sides the that and wasn't, rarities. Uh, well, that wasn't supposed to play because I was supposedly had my volume turned down. Sorry about that. Um, so I'm just looking at some of the. Uh, songs here looking at the lyrics uh that's not the one see he just admitted that one was good it wasn't it didn't sound dumb enough no, that is not at all what i admitted uh i was literally just looking for the specific song that i was um that i was you know not liking um 
You know, while you're looking this up, uh, I never got to introduce the album properly because you you wanted to savage it so viciously early on. Yeah, I'm the, sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. You go so, ahead. Do that. Uh, for those of you who are wondering what exactly it is that we're talking about, we're talking about the REM album, New Adventures in Hi-Fi. So early in REM's career, they released a bunch of albums uh, independently, uh, not not independently, but on a minor label in Athens, Georgia, and they got more and more popular on college rock radio, which was really just becoming a thing in the 80s. And they got signed to a major label and had a series of very high-profile albums that culminated in Automatic for the People, which sold like a billion copies. Then they had one more album, and then they signed very famously an $80 million five-album contract None of which, none of the five albums from that sold anywhere near anything had since they since they were in the eighties. It was a huge, huge failure. If you look at if you look up lists of like the biggest mistakes of the music business, REM's giant contract is generally very high up the list. It's pretty funny, mm. but this album is New Adventures in Hi-Fi, and it was the first album released after that al- after that contract was signed, and I think it's fantastic. A lot of... Um, I think this is a very... This is an album concerned with, like, behavior and how we treat each other, and I really dig it. You're not alone, by the way. Uh, I am an outlier on this. Uh, I was looking it up on Metacritic, and this is REM's highest rated album on metacritic is it really i didn't know that yeah for the longest time i thought of this as like an undiscovered gem that people didn't really know about well that doesn't necessarily mean that it's it has many reviews it just means that it is the highest rated Mm. you know of the reviews that are out there right so um so yeah i mean you know i listened to it twice all the way through and i felt i i also felt that the the melodies and um uh, a lot of times I found myself waiting for a chorus that was like, okay, here's a mm. verse, here's a verse, here's a chorus that kind of I can sing along to. Um, there was a song that was, uh, uh, I can't remember which one it was. Again, I, I, I don't take notes because I'm usually out and about or walking and I'm not listening to it, um, listening to the songs like on a desk, like analyzing it. I'm just trying to en- enjoy it as my, in part of my day. So but, like, there I you feel go. Like... I, we, we, Travis just admitted that he refuses to write notes on his own flesh while climbing mountains in LA. And yeah, I yeah, think confirmed. I, I blame him. Uh, I do think that there was a, uh, I think it was so fast, so numb. I was listening to, and it kind of starts off with a nice little, nice drum beat and like some, mm-hmm. some good music. And it had a couple of verses and then I was like, I was hoping for like a chorus that was like, I could, I, I don't know, that would catch me or something. And it just didn't happen. And yeah, there, I don't know. No, the, that's a fair read against this album. It is not, it is not big on big chorus moments. This album is very much a journey. You know, it's funny. It kind of goes back a little bit to uh, Godspeed You Black Emperor two weeks ago mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of like, it is it's a very experiential album and um you know it's yes. it's not it's not a series of pop bangers which uh, yes you know carly ray jepson forever i will give you that absolutely it's this is 
you know, and we have had several of these albums where I've said, you know what, if this was just playing on the in the background on a Sunday afternoon, I'd probably be uh, okay with it, and it'd be nice. It'd be nice thing to have in the background. I'm not feeling that for this album, mm-hmm. even, uh, and I, I'm not. I can't really put my finger on why. I just it, it felt too meandering for me and mm-hmm. too almost stream of consciousness. Um, for me, and so I, I I don't think that I would probably want to listen to this again. I I, I honestly wasn't looking forward to listening to it the second time, and uh, but I but I wanted to to make sure that my initial impression from you know last Monday's hike when I listened to it the first time was the same. Can I can I ask you in the future? Let me know if you're feeling that way, and what I'll do is make you just listen to the best song of the album like three times rather than the okay. whole album. Because if you're gonna, if it's gonna get a hook in you, right? It it needs to be, you know. Well, and, and so you know maybe maybe that's the thing. It's like oh, this one is just tough. You know. Yeah, but here, here that 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 does raise a question, uh, a comment that I had. First off, I would like you to do that regardless. Tell me what your favorite song mm-hmm. or what, or even what you think my favorite song would be from an album. Knowing well, I think as, if there's one thing we know right now, it's that I have no idea what your taste is because yeah, well, because I will say every week, except for Godspeed You Black Emperor, every single week I do try to pick actively pick something that I think you will like. Um, oh, interesting. And, and okay. so the fact that you've come through with some pretty low ratings lately is a little, it it's a little perplexing to me. Okay. Uh, well, and I want to, I want to try to express why I like or don't like a, uh, an album or a playlist as well as I can. And so maybe as we go, you'll learn more about my tastes as I have already learned more about your movie tastes. Um, and we will try to adapt to each other, but, um, definitely I, I like the idea of you telling me which song is either the best or, or that you think will be my favorite, which, but leads me to my other thought. And this album was one of, I think two where I specifically had this thought and which is if you're making an album, the to me, the first sh- song should be the best song, right? Mm-hmm. The first song should be unequivocally, like, everybody should agree that it's the best song on the album, the one that hooks you mm-hmm. so that you can, like, kind of be engaged with the rest of the album, either hoping for a song that's that good or, <laughs> or what. But, man, the first song on this one, um, How the West Was Won and Where It Got Us, was not that for me. I was, I, I think I was a little bit perplexed on how they could choose it as the first song at first while I was listening to it. But then I think that as I was continuing to listen to the album, maybe that became not as important. So that was, uh, that's, that's my thing. Tell me what, tell me what you love about this album, because I do want to hear why you love it. And, um, I think that's important. Oh, you know, it's actually, it's hard for me to say. I think one of the things, and this actually maybe points to why it was tough for you. It, it is an album that I've listened to over and over again. And so I know like all the nooks and crannies of it, but I Mm -hmm. actually, I love the lyrics on this uh, album. I think it's so, so good. Uh, Hmm. There's the song new test leper. Um, It's third song on the album. 
Yep. You know, he starts out with, I can't say that I love Jesus. That would be a hollow claim. He did make some observations, and I'm quoting them today. Judge not lest ye be judged. What a beautiful refrain. You know? Um, and then there's there's actually a series of those quotes throughout the song, right? And basically what he's doing here... So Michael Stipe is, I assume, an atheist, uh, at the very least an agnostic, right? Um, and he's a member of the, of the community, uh, although he's never been super open about what exactly that entails for him but uh what which community the lgbtqia oh, oh he's queer okay got it. yeah got it. he's queer okay. yeah and um you know it feels to me like i'm gonna quote your supposed leader right back at you and uh and make you realize that of the two of us you know, you are being a less good Christian, right? Sure, um, sure. And it very much comports with my, like, experience throughout my life where, you know, I don't identify as a Christian anymore, but I do think the teachings of Jesus are pretty good teachings, right? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah. Pro, I'm pro Jesus, but his followers fucking suck, right? And... Uh, so, so that song like resonates with me because I, I appreciate a good atheist who can quote Jesus. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I do, I I do that all the time. I actually have a copy of the Bible on my phone and I refer to it frequently, um, because I, I don't believe any of it is, um, is literal, but I do think that a lot of the stories, uh, and parables and lessons are, uh, applicable to life and i think you know above all is love thy neighbor as thou mm-hmm. would love thyself you know that is such a simple directive and was pretty much his entire message and uh it's it's amazing how it is how easy it is uh for people to get wrong but i i do i get and that's that that was i was well, reading and through so that the, yeah and so that's not the only song like that on the album i think there's you know how the west is won and where it got us i think is a is a really fascinating song i mean it's it's pretty dense right and so you're mm-hmm. not necessarily going to get that out of the out of a first listen um but you know engaging with u.s history in the context of a pop rock song i think is an interesting an interesting uh journey right yeah yeah absolutely absolutely but and i I think you know what my biggest fault then is that i can't understand the lyrics Mm -hmm. two times through i couldn't understand what he was saying and i don't know if that's a that's an audio mix problem or a singing problem or what but i i that's one thing to note about me is i do like to hear the lyrics and and i keep on going to an album like Graceland, which, um, you know, even though the lyrics are kind of weird poetry, you know, sometimes you can understand mm-hmm. what Paul Simon is saying. And, you know, you can understand what Elton John is saying in Made in England. And The boy you know, in the bubble and the baby with the baboon heart. Yeah, there we go. I mean, it's a weird thing to say, but you can understand what he's saying. So I, that, I think, maybe is one of my big frustrations with this album. Um, in addition to not having maybe a familiar um, structure, sure. you know, to the songs. You know? yeah. So I think I am, I am a fan of, of, of familiarity. Um, I don't know if that makes me uncool, maybe, 
but uh, I do I do kind of like that. And, it's and, always, and, and, and it's I, always uncool to whether, to wonder whether or not you're cool. <laughs> yeah, well, sure. Uh, but but it's not the it's not the familiarity that I like. It's not that I want to hear the same thing over and over again. I I think I like I like a familiar um, structure, a familiar uh, a framework, and then be interesting within that. And I think that's because there are kind of things that work. Um, I don't know. I don't want to say what works and what not because obviously this is a popular album. I don't want to impugn your judgment, sir. But. Uh, well, I know uh, I'm going to I'm going to just give you the the reason I gave you a look just now is because, of course, I'm going to go back to this is why I thought you would like Carly Rae Jepsen's Kiss. Right. Oh, that man. album is just a series of pop bangers whose lyrics are easy to understand and I feel like has more depth than you would think from, you know, looking at it. Um, and certainly her career mm. has gone on to show that she is, you know, a deeper artist than that album. Uh, and so, uh, so I, the things that you're telling me are the things that made me think you would like that album. Yep. Okay. That's fair. And, and you know what you, I will say maybe I am hard to please for music because music just, and, and we've, one of the reasons we started this podcast is that music just isn't my love, just the way movies aren't really your love. And so, um, I think it's, we're exposing ourselves. Exactly, exactly. I love I love the fact that we are actually exposing ourselves to new things and I do appreciate that uh, even though um even though we're not we're not necessarily sharing the love that we each have this for our all, this various is all things. fair. Well, yeah. you know, on that note, uh would you like to give it a rating? Mm, let me hear yours first. No. <laughs> You did that. <laughs> this is this is on you, man. You show me mine, and I'll sh- I'll tell you mine. Um, but again, the, uh, there's no, there's never. I never feel like your rating is a punishment or anything. I understand that you don't, you know, you don't love the same things I do. Yes, and um, uh, this is purely for me. I will probably never listen to this album again. Uh. I'm I'm gonna give it a um, oh geez I'm gonna give it a two. A two, wow, a bold yeah. choice, Cotton. Yeah, I'm sorry. I I feel bad about doing it, but I just I didn't enjoy the experience of listening to it. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. All right. I would uh, rather read it. I, you know what I would like to do at some point? I would like to read the lyrics mm-hmm. as like a book of poetry. Yeah. I'll bet that good. might be interesting to me because it, just in just in talking with you and I've been going through some of the lyrics, I do like some of them now that I can understand what he's saying. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. All right. Well, I give this out. I, you know what? I've, I'm not even going to. I was going to give it a nine just because you gave it such a low score. But this I was all prepared to give it a 10 actually um before you gave nice. it your score so yeah nice. this is this literally is one of my my favorite albums of all time that's I, great um, i did like a ranking sort of of my favorite albums a couple of years ago and this one came in the top 10 yeah interesting okay yeah. great great yeah. well and i and i like that you did that i like yeah. it makes me feel better that you stuck to your guns oh, and uh, you. our average for this album is uh, higher yeah, that, you know, that's a that really reason. good point. That's a really good point. All right, mm-hmm. let's talk about this movie. Somebody assigned right. me. Somebody assigned me 
a who's the guy Christopher uh, Christopher, Christopher Nolan, Nolan movie, even yeah. though he knows that I hate the Prestige. Uh, if which, you're a, which if you're new to is, our podcast, you might not know this, but I hate the Prestige. No, no, no I don't remember that you hated it. I just yeah. remember that you didn't like it. You hated no. it? No, I hated the Prestige. Yeah, I was. Oh mad. wow, I guess I, was, I didn't know that. I was angry at the end of the Prestige. Wow, I I kind of want to touch on that for a second. Do you remember sure. why you were angry? Uh, because I felt like the movie was bullshit and I hated it. That's I. Uh, I was like, that was the, I w- so there's like the answer. And then there was just the fact that I was like, there is nobody in this movie who I want good things for. Right. There's hmm. just nobody. There's, there's absolutely no one who I'm like, yes, that guy, I'm rooting for him. I want him to get what he wants. You know, there's just nobody in the movie, not even David huh. Bowie, who I love. Wow. Or Scarlett Johansson or anything. Okay. Um, well, did you have you liked any of Christopher Nolan's movies? Like, did you like? Uh, you probably didn't like Batman Begins because it's a I superhero movie. Yep. Did you? You didn't like uh, the the um, Memento. I did love. I loved Memento. Okay. Yeah. Because I did too, and I think one of the things I liked about Memento was the uh, the kind of the mental gymnastics that you that it makes you do, but also it is a complete story that doesn't it doesn't feel lazy. And that's one of the things like uh, there, uh, Nolan released a movie recently called Tenet, and I found it annoying um, to watch. And I did not like the experience of watching it at all. Part of it was that it kind of touches on my music issue. Like I could, you couldn't, he, Nolan famously doesn't care about the dialogue in his movies. Like he frequently will, will mix the dialogue so that it's unintelligible. And he says that he mixes it for the very best theaters. And if you're not in, if you're not watching it in the very best theaters, he doesn't care about how much, you know, how much you understand. That's Whatever. okay. I it's, watch it with closed captions on. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's fine. I, I don't like to have to read um, while I'm watching a movie. But anyway, so this movie though, um, Inception that we're talking about, this came out in 2000. 10 i believe and it was uh i mean huge cast you've got leonardo dicaprio uh joseph gordon levitt tom hardy killian murphy uh elliot page and um ken watanabe uh i mean just um, and of course michael Caine, who is in everything uh, from christopher nolan and um this kind of checked a lot of boxes for me uh this came out before I think that Leonardo DiCaprio was kind of doing his I want to get an Emmy I want to get an Oscar uh, series of movies with J Edgar and um and uh the 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 pi- uh not the pile the aviator stuff like that uh, culminating in uh, what we did last week with um The Revenant Revenant and uh so he was kind of still like cool young cute Leonardo DiCaprio you know only a few years po- past um um well, not got a few years. Probably, oof. I guess he was 15 years past uh, uh, Titanic, 14, 13, something like that. Yeah. And um, so, but, you know, it, it just seemed like a fun science fiction. Like, I love sci-fi. I love a mystery. I love something that makes you think, but also it knows the answers to its questions, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and this kind of checked all those boxes. The, the, the special effects were were seemed grounded uh there's a lot of 
in my mind, comparison between this movie and, say, Doctor Strange, which had a lot of um, a lot of city-based like special effects of like making things that didn't seem real try to look real, and I, I didn't like Doctor Strange in that way for that reason, but I did like this movie, and I like kind of the 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 mixing of realities that they do in this movie. And um yeah, uh, as far as business, it had a 160 million dollar budget, which was I can definitely see that. It was ambitious and uh it made uh, 836 million in the box office. It was the biggest movie of the year that it came out. That's the biggest incredible. movie of 2010. Thank you for that intro, Travis. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna. I'm probably most of the people that have uh, are listening to this uh, podcast have. I would guess have seen Inception. Yep, pretty but, popular um, movie. You had not. You. It had... was the most popular movie of the year. So you didn't see it. Yeah, I had not seen this Until movie. Now. Mostly, I mean, I knew that it was a cultural touchstone for people. I knew that. Uh, yeah, that it was popular. I actually didn't know that it was Christopher Nolan, but, uh, you know, people have referenced Inception in the um, popular culture enough over the last few years that I knew... So much, yeah. I knew, you know, the basic premise of, like, nested realities. Sure. Uh, The dream within a dream. Well, I didn't know that it was a dream. uh, Oh, okay. uh, You know, but I knew that, like, that... That it had something to do with nested realities, right? Okay. Okay. So, So, uh, what'd you think? Well, I started off this movie really loving it. Um, I, you know, the acting is really good. It draws you in uh, to its story quickly, and it presents a bunch of questions to you, and it largely answers those questions rather than, like, dangling them in front of you for an hour before, you know, you, like... There's that opening sequence, and then you start seeing, oh, okay, this is, these are the rules that we're playing by. Mm-hmm. Now, before we go any further, I'd like to say there is a lot of phlebotanum in this movie. You're familiar with the concept of phlebotanum? Uh, I mean, I, I, that, I would say phlebotanum, no. I was thinking that sounds like the blood splatter thing. No, no? phlebotanum is like... We're going to say some words now, and you're just going to let them wash over you and not think too hard about uh, what they mean. That's like we're going to. Are you we'll, talking we'll, like a techno babble? Or? Yeah, techno babble. Like we're going to okay. we're going to we're going to throw some of this magic fairy dust over this and it's going to be okay. cool. Right. OK. Got it. Got it. So um, I've never heard that word yeah. before. I'm going to have to look it up. I think it might be from Flubber, but I'm not really sure. Oh, OK. It <laughs> makes some sense. Sure. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I started out really liking it. And the problem that I kind of ran into is, like, the more time I spent in the world of this movie, which is a beautiful place to spend time. <clears throat> and is really, like, it's cool, right? It's beautifully photographed. It's the 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 different locales are very interesting and well thought out you know it's good stuff right yeah but the more time i spent in it the more i was kind of irritated by it you know um just like the the questions that like you want to hand wave away and yeah and i did hand wave away at first and then i came back and i'm like okay so why are they 
why does someone need to design the dream? And it, there's an answer to that question, right? But like, mm -hmm. it's like, well, anyways. And so there's a person who designs a dream and there's a process by which they design the dream. And there's a process by which we get the dreamer to land in that dream rather than in their other dream. But mostly there's just this fancy briefcase and we're just gonna say it's the briefcase. Where did the briefcase yeah. come from? How many briefcases are there? How do they work? Like it's all, it's all completely just sort of no man. It's the briefcase, right? You know. Mm -hmm. And I like I did that didn't bother me at first. I was like, cool, magic briefcase, whatever, right? But like, as I got more into the movie and like, there's all the stuff with the different time scales and the multiple kicks and the how the kick works and the like. There's, I just spent more and more time going, oh, I think it was like an accretion of like small things that I was like willing to let go of. Sure, yeah. Individually, but as they like, I just got buried under tissue papers eventually. And I was like, I've got, this is, it's too much for me. Right? That's interesting. Okay. You know. That's interesting because I have, the, I, I weirdly enough do have that same experience with this movie where the more I watch it, the more questions I have that are not satisfyingly answered. Yeah. Um, and I think I get what you're saying where they'll give an answer that to them says, oh, we've answered this question. Mm -hmm. But the answer itself requires an answer mm -hmm. that they don't answer. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, and the other thing that this movie does a lot is like it, it almost makes itself harder than it has to be, right? Like, so there's all this stuff with like, the projections of the dreamer's mind come out as people who are suspicious of the others who don't belong in the dream and will try to kill them, right? And so mm -hmm. that all, like, sort of makes sense as, like, a through line. But I know as a human being that the reason those people are there and that mechanism exists is because we would like to have an action movie. And so, yes. and so they're going to come and they're going to attack the dreamers because otherwise it's just a, you know, tense psychological thriller with no action. Right. Sure. Um, and so, you know, it, it's just things like that that start to irritate it. It's like, it's like, oh, no, you're putting these arbitrary you're putting these arbitrary obstacles in because you were able to get this actor for the cast or whatever. Right. Like I still right now, and this is not an exaggeration, have no idea what Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character was supposed to be, what his motivation was, why he was there, like, what his, you know, it's funny, because at one point, he's like, I'm the best. And I was like, the best what? what? The best <laughs> what? What are you the best of? Please tell me now, because I know that Ariadne is the best architect, even though uh -huh. she's a student. You know, uh, I don't like, I don't know what you're the best at. What are you the best at? And as far as I can tell, nobody has been made a promise by Ken Watanabe other than Leonardo DiCaprio, right? The other people are just like, yeah, I, we'll go on a heist with you. I won't ask too many questions. Like, you know, Tom Hardy is amazing in this, right? Joseph Gordon-Levin is amazing in this. But I yeah. don't know why they're there. Are they getting money? Yeah. Are they getting their rocks off? Like, what, what's going on? Yeah. This is uh, notably one of the last movies I've really liked Tom Hardy in that I can think of uh, off the top of my head. I always like um, 
Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I think he's fantastic. But uh, yes, I, I do agree with you. That this is one of those movies that is... Uh, you, you have to... I find myself really enjoying it as long as I'm kind of cutting off the top 10% of my intelligence. Yeah. Um, just, just let myself... And there's a lot of things like that. You know, Star Trek yeah, is much absolutely. the same way. Sure. And I think this is very much Star Trek-y in that respect. And the reason, it, the reason we let it fly with Star Trek is that Star Trek is not set in our world. And this right. ostensibly is. And so we expect it to make a little bit more sense yeah. than we allow for something like Star Trek, which, you know, oh, yeah, warp, warp drive and Klingons, sure. Um, even though it's supposed to be set, like Star Trek is supposed to be set in a, in a realistic future of our world, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. There is another movie that does that, uh, which I... I thought about assigning you. I don't know if we will at some point, but it, it's a movie that does not get a lot of good critical reception, but I think is a lot of fun, and it's uh, it's the core. Um, oh, I've seen parts of the. I haven't seen the whole thing. It's a movie where they have to travel. Yeah, my ex-wife was super into like terrible really? science fiction movies, and the I worse see, I don't think it's terrible. The worse the movie was, the better for her. Interesting, and she she and loved she, the core because I, it was horrible, huh? I don't know if she loved the core uh, because I will refuse to watch it. <laughs> oh well, I, I, the way I think of the core, for example, and the core is a movie where they have um, they have to go core they have to <laughs> drill to the center of the earth to restart the core of the earth, which has stopped mm -hmm. turning, and um, it's a ridiculous premise, and yeah, it's for uh, a lot but of it's reasons. very, <laughs> but it's very, like if you if you take out that it's actually a fun movie the acting is good the special effects are good the act you know the action is good the script is pretty good it's just the premise that is hard and and I, that to me is very much like inception and star trek where you just have to kind of let go of the premise and just enjoy what's happening and well, then let's see, all the there, other parts there are kind so of work. many times there here's the reason that i can't do that there are so many times that the action on screen depends on the premise that mm -hmm. like i still don't have a real handle on why she kept showing up everywhere the wife yes mm. i can't remember well, her I mean, name uh mal, yeah, mal. marion cotillard, they, cotillard well marion River. cotillard but mal is what they call her and i don't have a really good handle on why she kept showing up everywhere why she kept trying to kill leo i mean i well so I, there's so there's an overarching theory of the movie and I haven't read this anywhere, but like he clearly lays out, uh, sorry, the, Christopher Nolan clearly lays out a set of evidence that leads one to suspect that Marion Cotillard was right. And that Leo is inside of a dream and refusing to leave. Um, mm. but the last shot of the movie refuses to confirm that. And I, right. and I hate it. I oh, hate I was that. wondering what you were going to uh, say about that. Make a choice, man. And yeah. Yeah. And also don't leave like 700 breadcrumbs. Right. And then be like, but you get to choose. No, I didn't get to choose because one, I don't make movies. You know, I knew you were going to be upset by this. Oh, I suspected you were. And um, I've thought a lot about that moment over the years. Sure. And for me. It could have. It could be either a lazy moment where the director is like, "I don't want to make this choice. You make it." But it also could be the director does know, or the and the writer, director, whoever the, whoever the filmmakers are, they know the truth, 
and are kind of leaving it to you to figure out and debate for yourself, which I enjoy a little bit more, but I do understand the frustration, absolutely. Well, here's what I'll say about it, right? I, the moment the idea was introduced, I picked up on it, which is unusual for me. I'm not, I'm not a big plot predictor. Like I, I watch mystery shows and I'm always like, I don't know, somebody, I guess. Right. Um, but, uh, but I picked up on that. It's introduced maybe an hour into the movie. It's like, Oh, wait a minute. Uh, I think, I think she was right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then it's kind of left alone for a while. And then the last scenes of the movie are all about it. But, I mean, here's the thing, right? From the evidence available to me from his movies, I think Christopher Nolan's kind of a dick, right? Mm. And so with the knowledge that I think Christopher Nolan's kind of a dick, I feel like this is a dick move. Mm. It's just like, you know, it's... I don't know if I want to call it laziness exactly, but it's certainly the laziest way to, like, get a rise out of people like me, Right. Like, oh, I yep. know the answer and you don't and blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah. I, I know what the answer is, too. Like, clearly he's in a fake reality, you know, like. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I agree. But uh, yeah, that's, you a, that's a discussion for another day. Um, <laughs> there, I, uh, uh, Oh, I will send you uh, one thing. There is a series of uh, videos on YouTube called uh, Pitch Meeting. And it's this guy's been doing them for three, four or five years now. And basically he takes apart, he deconstructs the a movie or a TV series based on um, the premise of the writer pitching the idea to the producer or you know or to the studio, mm-hmm. and I found this guy yeah. when I after season eight of Game of Thrones, which offended me so badly, and his video gave me a little bit of catharsis, and I'm going to send you mm-hmm. his video on Inception. It might do the same thing for you, but okay. um, <laughs> in the meantime, Here's in the meantime, open. why don't we give why don't we give it a rating? Uh. I, this, this is a really tough rating to give because so much about the movie is so good, right? I will mm-hmm. say the action feels extremely gratuitous, right? It's just, here's the thing about the action in in movies that are good is that, like, there's a flow to the action and a beginning and a middle and an end and, like, there's a sense of progress, right? The mm-hmm. nature of the action in this movie is so, like it feels arbitrary because it's just ah, like, okay. Hey, we're just attacking you. Right. And so like, and it, and it's explicitly a never ending flood of bodies, right? Like the, they will never stop. Right. And sure. So, sure. So it feels very much to me, like almost like a, a immune system response. A, you yeah. Know? Or a video game or whatever. Right. Where it's or just, that too. Yeah. They will just spawn another wave. But anyways, the, there's so many, many good things about this movie, but ultimately I, I was, I really had some severe, like, you know, philosophical problems with it. So I'm going to give it a four. Oh, okay. Yeah, a little lower than I expected, but the, uh, that's fair given your critique. Uh, yeah. I think I'm going to give it a seven. Um, okay. I, I enjoy this movie. It's not my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. I have loved a couple of his movies. Um, I definitely have a range with him, but uh, I think this is going to go uh, right about seven. It's a movie that I can watch over every now and then not a movie that i need to watch frequently though so fair enough awesome all right Uh, excellent well uh and what uh what do you have planned for me this week i'm i'm curious what do i have planned for you this week are you familiar with the band fits and the tantrums i have never in my life heard of that band well you are missing out my man 
Fits in the Tantrums is a band. I think they're 10 or 15 years old now. They're a big, uh, big group in the neo soul movement. Uh, so lots of like upbeat tempos, good bass lines, lots of great vocals. There's actually two vocalists. Uh, the primary vocalist is a man. And then there's also a uh, female vocalist who takes some leads and then does backing vocals on a bunch. Okay. Uh, oh, right. And I've given you an album. I'm not just giving you all of Fits in the Tantrums. I'm giving I you an album. I should hope so. The album is called All the Feels. It is their album from, uh, I think, 2020. And it is super duper good. This is recent music. Okay. We, we, do, we do sometimes have trouble giving you recent stuff, but this is recent. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, okay, well, I uh, am going to, I wanted to, I, I was thinking about the fact that we kind of, we touched on an actor and then we touched on Christopher Nolan and, and we've talked about him as a, as, a, as a director. And so I thought I might give you another director that I really like. And um, so I'm curious if, if maybe you've seen all of uh, this guy's movies that I love, but um, are you familiar with uh, Frank Darabont? I know the name, but that's all. Okay. Have you seen... Um, so he did... Famously, he directed The Shawshank Redemption. Um, oh, yeah. Which I, I'm assuming you've already seen I that. I have seen Shawshank. Okay. Did you see The Green Mile, which was his... I did, yeah. Okay, great. It's a great movie. It's his follow-up. That's all right. We've got another chance here. Have you seen The Mist, which is his third Stephen, Stephen King adaptation? No, I have not seen The Mist. Okay, I'm going to assign you The Mist. It's a it's a 2007 movie, so it kind of definitely falls into our 20 year like timeline of of your uh sure. your lack of your your movie desert. And um, The Mist is an adaptation of a Stephen King short story above the same name. And um, I don't think I'm going to tell you anything else about it. Uh, it's got a great cast and. I will say, if you happen to know, there, there's one thing about The Mist that's interesting, and that's that Frank Darabont originally wanted to release it in black and white. And I managed to get my hands on the Blu-ray of The Mist, and it includes a black and white version of the movie. And I found it superior, mm -hmm. and I do not like black and white movies as a general rule. It's not my thing. Like, it's it's like... I am not an artistic, like, doing things because it's like, oh, this is, like, avant-garde or whatever. That's not my thing. But I thought The Mist was really good in black and white. Um, nice. You probably won't be able to find it in black and white. So enjoy it however you can. I will give you this heads up. It was made on a pretty low budget. For a, It's a horror movie. Or it's a scary movie. It's, it's, it's His other two Stephen King stories were not scary like mm -hmm. the the Shawshank Redemption and the Green Mile are both touching dramas this is not that this is a monster movie okay horror movie another you know. horror movie Fun. yeah what was the last one we gave you we did uh the what was that um Clive Barker one Hellraiser oh yeah yeah Hellraiser. the first yeah the first yeah. one Hellraiser so this will be yeah the first our return to horror from our very first episode yeah so um yeah I hope you enjoy it um yeah I hope so, too. All right, great. Well, uh, Matt, thank you for exposing yourself to me. 
Well, Travis, thank you for exposing yourself to me. All right. I hope you have a wonderful week. Uh, I myself am um, finally done with a lot of busyness, so I hope to be able to concentrate on uh, writing and basically chill this week. So uh, awesome. hopefully your music will be a good part of that. Oh, I hope so, too. All right. Thanks so much. I'll talk to you next week. See you next week. Thank you.